This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Updates from ISC 19. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader, editor of HPC Wire, and we're coming to you from the ISC 19 conference in Frankfurt. Tiffany, there's a lot going on out on the show floor. Yeah, there's so much going on. I mean, this trend that we've seen towards greater uh, processor diversity, it's really it's really hitting its mark here in, in Frankfurt this week. Absolutely. And I would say that's one of the top things that we're talking about with people on the show floor today. And I will say I'm seeing a lot of momentum with AMD Epic that seems to be showing up in a lot of the booths, a lot of the demos, a lot of the product discussions. There's a lot of momentum with that. And as a result, I think it's also putting a lot of pressure on NVIDIA. And I will say, I'll just go ahead and say I'm disappointed in NVIDIA that they're not exhibiting with a booth. I know some of the people are here. Uh, but, you know, this is a, a show where you have to show support for the HPC community. And as a result, I feel like NVIDIA is knocked back a bit. AMD has the opportunity to show some of their Epic Plus Radeon uh, technologies. NVIDIA, meanwhile, you know, they they have a bit of a struggle in the sense that, you know, they're reliant on a microprocessor there somewhere, and they're, they're not best friends with Intel. Now AMD's on the scene with another GPU, but NVIDIA's got some notable news of their own, despite not being here, uh, releasing a, a press release reaffirming their partnership with ARM. Yeah, that was that. The, Nvidia had a several big, several news announcements that week. That that was that, that was at the top of them. They they announced that they are they are recommitting, re- reaffirming their their support for ARM. You know, um, to make ARM a full citizen and the processing architectures that they support, along with x86 and and the IBM the IBM power chips too. And they're just you know seeing as we are the increasing activity and momentum for alternatives to x86 p- CPUs and momentum for ARM. You know, we saw the the ARM. You know, there's now a petascale. Arm on on the, uh, on the on the on the top third of the top 500 list that the Sandia the Sandia system Astra worth a little bit of interesting backstory here we we know you know way back uh, in, uh, in 2011 there was this um, Project Denver pro- project um, at NV- Nvidia that they were going to make their make and make a full featured ARM chip that didn't really materialize but they did do some more more kind of embedded things uh, for mobile and robotics and gaming um, with ARM plus GPU. And um, so they've, you know, they've, they've had their, their toes in, in, in the, the ARM ecosystem. And we've kind of seen this ARM plus GPU software development off and on at a, at a PG, PGI Portland, the Portland group and with the uh, open ACC community. Um, but I was always kind of perennial in limbo. And then, you know, this week they announced, um, you know, that they're they're full in with uh, with ARM support. So I think, and the, the community reaction has has been, I think, very very positive and, and enthusiastic. I think that people people are happy about that. We saw a lot of um, seems seems to be strong strong ecosystem support right off the bat with about I'd say like a, a dozen testimonials from, um, you know, some, some names you might expect Ampere Computing and Atos and um, uh, Cray, uh, Fujitsu was one. Uh, EPI um, uh, is pretty pretty happy about it, I think. And, and Rikin too. Um, I saw you know uh, a note from uh, Satoshi Satoshi um, uh, Matsuoka, the head of Rikin. Um, you know he he put out uh, a note that um, you know they're they're happy about it too. It's it's kind of interesting. I just talked to OpenACC, 
and um, you know one of their their the centers they were going to be working with was was Rican, and uh, we was kind of scratching our heads, you know, not quite sure what that was about. And then the, the next day, um, you know, this was announced, and of course they have the the arm chip there, so it all it all made sense. Yeah, NVIDIA Plus ARM is an architecture that made a lot of sense to me going all the way back to that Project Denver that you mentioned. And and it's interesting to see that come to fruition. Now, I think NVIDIA's hand is also forced to some extent by what's going on on the microprocessor side, but that doesn't diminish the fact that I think this will be an attractive architecture initially for the hyperscale space, and then we'll see to what extent it can really take off in HPC as well. Meanwhile, on the ARM side, we continue to see a lot of momentum, particularly with CAD which has really emerged as almost the the last vendor standing for these 64-bit high-performance ARM processors. Applied Micro also has a 64-bit implementation, but we see that primarily on the hyperscale side and not not nearly the momentum for HPC that Cavium seems to have. So with all the processor news going on, the one that's kind of left out of the big conversation is Intel. Now, Mm -hmm. you attended Raj Hazra's talk uh, at ISC here, and they did have a lot of new news. It wasn't really on the processor side, though. It was more around other technologies setting up for Aurora. Yeah, they they announced um, this uh, distributed async. It's called Deos Distributed Asynchronous Object Store, uh, that that that's now available on, on GitHub. Um, and then that that's going to be a big big part of uh, the Aurora system, and they they also announced some some details uh, about Aurora um, that uh, we're we're going to follow up on, um, and uh, I think we're going to find out some more about um, one one API, which I, I hear that that might just be a, a placeholder name, so maybe we'll we'll even hear about a name change uh, for that because um, I guess it's it's not really an API, right? Um, as as we've talked about uh, before, it's a connector, you know, uh, for four different different uh, endpoints. Um, that yeah, uh, it, one API is one of those things where it's not really one and it's not yeah. really API, yeah, yeah. but other yeah, than yeah. that, it's one API. So yeah, I agree. Other than that, yeah. I agree that it's an interesting placeholder name, and to the extent that they can create a common development environment across the multiple architectures, I think it's potentially the most important thing in the entire Intel portfolio if they can deliver on it. Meanwhile, the disappointment to me is that we still don't have a lot of information about the Intel XE processor, which we know is a cornerstone, is a discrete GPU in the Aurora supercomputer, and we're waiting to get a few more details on that. Yeah, we, we, we still are, yep. We, we we know it's a, a GP GPU is is essentially what we know, and then it's gonna it's gonna plug into this um, you know one one API, and and it's it's gonna uh, relate to their their consortia, the consortia, the um, the CXL consortia, and yeah, but kind of everything's sort of vague. They haven't they haven't tied it all together yet. Another major topic of conversation here on the show floor has been people talking about the HPE acquisition of Cray and what that means. Now, we've already talked about that on this week in HPC, and we don't need to rehash the entire acquisition, but it does play into one of the other themes, which is the future of the interconnect space. Mm. Cray Slingshot will now be part of HPE, and that's the heart of these two first large U.S. supercomputer installations. Meanwhile, we keep hearing more about Tofu from Fujitsu and BXI from Bull. So we're seeing a lot more of these proprietary interconnects again, plus InfiniBand, which has also been acquired by by NVIDIA via Mellanox, 
uh, has its first HDR systems out on the list. We talked about that on our Top 500 podcast, uh, the previous one out here from the show. So they've got a lot going there. And again, here it's where Intel seems to have nothing going on because we haven't heard anything about Omnipath, the the kind of the buzz that's out there is well, there's really nothing with the future of Omnipath right now. It seems to have vanished from Intel's slide deck, and, and it seems to be a common assumption that Omnipath two is gone. But I haven't heard any official announcement from Intel on that front. Right, right. So yeah, that's that's an open question now. They're not they're not talking about it. I'm not seeing it on slide decks. Uh, and if I do, it's sort of um, in a vague way, almost as if, as if they're it's in transition and it's it's essentially become a placeholder for whatever they're they're going to do next uh, with networking. Um, you know, I think it's notable that in this Aurora contract that Intel is the prime on. Um, you know, the the Omnipath uh, will not be on there as it was originally intended to be in the the original Aurora um was it 19 you know contract rather than the the, the 2021 contract so um of course that the the network that will be on on there is uh Cray's slingshot network um which is uh what do they call it their their seventh or eighth uh, generation network um is how they they refer to it. it has a lot of interesting elements too but but it won't be um it won't be omnipath Let's get a couple of other quick hot takes from the show. I noticed a, as kind of a, in one way, a new entrant and in one way, an old entrant. But suddenly we're talking about Oracle again. Oracle is is not only uh, displaying this year, but making a lot of noise about its Oracle cloud infrastructure coming back into the HPC space. Now as a cloud provider, that's been interesting to me. They're claiming a performance advantage over AWS, Azure, Google, based on the notion that they're the only ones who will provide bare metal uh, for HPC. Yeah. It's yet to be seen how the market will respond to that. But it, but interesting to me in any case to see Oracle back in after you know we tracked Sun for, for many years. Um, I'm interested in whether Oracle will come back with an on-premise solution or not, but uh, but interesting to me as a as a new re-entrant mm-hmm. into this space. Isn't it isn't it interesting how suddenly um, you know HPC is in the spotlight and in demand? I mean, we've seen uh, Microsoft Azure really really beef up their HPC uh, capabilities with with the the the, the acquisition, acquisitions they made um, with uh, with with Cycle and um, with uh, Aver. Uh, and and then um, you know Amazon, Amazon uh, you know announced um, Luster you know uh, doing something with Luster um, and now Oracle is you know talking about its its HPC capabilities it's uh, it's interesting because I mean you know that kind of relates to some of your your market numbers too how you know it had this um, really slow uh, slow ramp up you know I think those of us that kind of had a front row seat were expecting maybe maybe thinking. You know, it would take off uh, sooner, but it had this slow ramp up, and now we're starting to see it curve up. Yeah, absolutely, and that plays right into a lot of the cloud talk that we're seeing around the conference. I'll tell you another interesting announcement that maybe flew under some other people's radar but relates to our market research numbers is looking at the press release coming out from MathWorks with respect to redoing their licensing around MATLAB. MATLAB is the second most commonly cited middleware package in all of our surveys behind only Slurm, which is really in a different category as a, of job management versus a a programming model. So uh, MATLAB is top of its category, and they have a new licensing model for uh, academia and research within HPC to allow unlimited campus-wide 
uh, access licenses, and also the possibility of multi-campus, multi-system authorization to make their licensing more portable to multiple systems. And in fact, they've made all of their licenses, including commercial licenses, portable between on-premise or third-party or cloud types of solutions to scale directly from within the MATLAB application, plus flexible licenses that can vary by usage. So that's a that's a case of a company really redoing their licensing model to fit how people are buying things. And then I want to turn to a couple of customer wins that I think are notable uh, beyond just the, the, the absolute biggest supercomputers. We talked about some of the uh, exascale applications. NEC has been talking about Aurora SX Subasa, their vector accelerated architecture for a while, but has been lacking in a big customer win. And now uh, they've, they've released two in rapid succession. The larger one is a 50 million euro or 56 million dollar deal with DWD or Deutsche Wetterdienst, which is a German weather forecasting solution. Now that price of 50 million euros, that includes the European value added tax, but still it's north of 40 million euros regardless. And they have a second win uh, also in Germany. So uh, that's two big wins for NEC. And then IBM at Total with the Pangea 3 system, I think is notable. It's a 25 petaflop uh, system based on Power9 and NVIDIA and uh, is the largest commercial supercomputer now on the top 500 list. Also notable to me because not only is it a big non-DOE Power9 system, but it takes that customer away. That had been a longtime SGI shop that they've now won away from HPE. So IBM's got a lot going, and that also plays into your previous notions about what's going on with IBM and the top 500 list. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just that um, uh, IBM uh, was originally uh, the, the top 500 information. We originally got it um, incorrectly noted that they were number two by aggregate flops because of the way the manufacturer is listed. It's, it has slashes listed uh, from Livermore, the NNSA Livermore folks, as IBM slash Nvidia slash Mellanox, and that threw an error into the accounting. Uh, um, so with the with the correct information, it's it's official that uh, IBM. As uh, is number one in terms of a- aggregate flops, uh, aggregate performance on the list, and they come in uh, above uh, above Lenovo. So they're so IBM is uh, number one above Lenovo. So that's been corrected. And then I also did the math on I added up uh, um, Cray and HPE, and uh, if we add them together, then then they would be number one. You know, just uh, looking looking ahead, um, you know, in consideration of, of the coming acquisition, which uh, won't won't take place. Um, I, when until end of uh, 2020. I give you a lot of credit for figuring that out, Tiffany. You were the one who broke that news to the top 500 committee and to IBM. You yeah, yeah, they were ha- they were happy with, happy that I did that. IBM was happy about that. You heard it here first on this week in HPC, and then you got the article up on HPC Wire. So great job, Tiffany, and and thanks for joining me here in Frankfurt at ISC. Thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back with more wrap up in our uh, podcast after we're home for the show. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.